Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William. I wouldn't say I'm a gray man. Maybe more of a ruddy red man in the face and pale white everywhere else man Johnson. You know, as a man who just turned 40, belated happy birthday show-wise, by the way, Mr. Thank Johnson, you. um, Thank has you. the gray hair snuck in anywhere yet? I get a little bit, uh, get some in my beard, but uh, I don't really have a lot okay. of hair on my head. I'm kind of like you. I mean, I don't go the full bald. Yeah. But I do shave everything off because I don't, I don't get long hair. It just it just grows thicker, and then it just sure. looks like it's just not my thing. So I, I don't like hair. I yeah. I because I know the horseshoes there. I just shave it all off. No, thank you. All right. Oh, yeah. Other than our, you know, follicle challenges, uh, we're damn glad to have you folks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for tantrum's sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we're talking about a new release that's exclusive to theaters for one week before you, everyone gets to watch it on Netflix. It is called The Gray Man from the Russo Brothers and has been recommended by our resident Russo Brothers fanboy and Marvel shill, Will Johnson. <laughs> our format is this. The recommending... <sighs> Dick Swinging Lover will go first. He will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower his praise and state his high-minded case. The hater, which tends to be me lately, follows with the, my own five uninterrupted minutes of uh, to present whatever counterpoints I think I got with any kind of scorched earth that's there. I think I kicked your ass in Thor last week, but that's okay. After that, we will open it up to 15 minutes or 50 minutes of sheer conversation where the hitsy fit really gets chippy. Ladies and gentlemen, black, white, red, and green, whatever you are, let's go. Yeah, so just fair fair warning before I hit my stopwatch here. Uh, oh, yeah. To get this, this five minutes rolling. I, uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lesson. I, I wouldn't say that you kicked my ass on Thor. I just, I, I realized that I don't have the fight in me anymore. And that's what I'm going to be talking about a little Ooh. bit with this movie as well. Okay. Um, it's, it's more like, it's more like, you know, someone came to you and said, look, he's already dead. Stop beating him up. And I'm just kind of <laughs> sitting there going like, I got nothing left. I got nothing left, man. The shill, the shill is going to remain the shill, but, uh, he's wounded. He's walking wounded. He's done his diligence. He's retired from wow. the, defend, the defensive role. I, I think so. I, maybe temporarily, who knows, but yeah. I'll let me start I, my five minutes. So you're going to roar back. I got a good feeling. It would just it's it's yeah. July, it's late summer. This is where the the fun stuff is, the the hard to critique stuff's coming in a couple of months. Something'll something'll irk your art enough that you'll be fine. Perhaps, perhaps. But let's let's discuss the gray man. So I am not, as I warned Don before the show, I'm not gonna litigate the Russos. You know, I I feel part of my retirement as a shill is that uh I I, I think if you love something, you, you, you sometimes got to, you don't have to defend it to the death. Sometimes the love is out there. They're going to know you love it. I think it's pretty clear. Everyone knows my love of certain things and Marvel's one of them. And I try to keep a critical eye, but you know, I, I just, at this point, 14, 15 years in, I'm just kind of throwing in the towel and just going to be a fan, you know, and uh, just enjoy myself as opposed to trying to convince someone not you, but someone in general, like people in general that 
it is something that they're not seeing. But that leads me to my criticism of tonight. So, like I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, litigate the Russos. I'm a big fan. I I love their style. Uh, I think they've directed some of the best action movies. Uh, even though they were Marvel, people you know people say that they you know they're studio hacks or whatever. But I think they have a very distinctive style. I, and actually, this movie has a lot of connections with the first three or three or four episodes of our show, Cinephile History Fit, because. Uh, not only is this a Russo Brothers film, which we covered Cherry, I think, in our third or fourth episode, um, which um, was my return to theaters after COVID, my first movie probably in a year and a half or whatever. But this film also has a wonderful perform- performance by Julia Butters, a child actress who uh, stole every scene she was in with Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which was our first episode of the show. So a lot of connections there. So we've got some history with the Russos. We've got some history with some of the stars of these movies, Chris Evans, things like that. Um, but you know what? I was, I was sitting in the theater uh, before the, the movie started. Uh, a lot of you know, great people. So, and this should be stated up front that when I say this about the critics, I'm not making personal statements because everyone I know in the Phoenix Film Critics Society is – wonderful and beautiful and i love hanging out with them but there is kind of this consensus and it it does exist in uh the general film world um and it gets a little overinflated because critics are obviously a very small percentage of the movie watching public and it gets even more out of whack when you know uh, 2% of the world is on Twitter, but they're making 95% of the noise. And that is, is that I feel like film criticism has come under not attack, but you know, everyone came in today to this screening for the gray man and sat down with a harumph, you know, Oh, it's the Russos. It's another one of the studio guys, you know, it's Netflix. You know, people were making this funny, 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 haha joke, like, seen any good movies lately? Oh, not me. I haven't seen anything in a long time. There is just this, I don't know what it is. And like I said, the, obviously the general movie public seems to be having a good time. Um, but, and, and this movie, and I promise this will go to my criticism of this movie, The Gray Man. But I, I feel like we don't, we, and I say we as critics, don't know how to have fun anymore. We don't know how to have fun. The Gray Man will inevitably, I guarantee you, even though I, I hear that you may uh, have a different take than you usually do <laughs> with this kind of stuff that I that I happen to love. But I, I guarantee you this will go to the, oh, it's... Uh, uh, it's Netflix overspending garbage. It didn't reinvent the wheel. It didn't do this. It didn't do that. I think critics have become obsessed in the last 10 years with quote unquote originality and trying to find a movie that actually does something innovative. It's a term innovative. And it's funny because people will criticize certain things like franchises and certain things for not being original. But then they'll heap praise, much like you and I did, on something like Top Gun Maverick, which 
is not only a sequel <laughs> to a legendary film, but also a pretty by-the-numbers one. And there's nothing wrong with by-the-numbers. The Gray Man, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, start having a great cast. Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Anna DeArmas, Jessica Henwick, Henswick. I don't know how to pr- pronounce the guy's name. for. I think he's on that Bridgerton show, Reggie Jean Page. Billy Bob Thornton, Julia Butters, Alfred Woodard. This is a this is a by the numbers kind of action movie, but Hollywood and movies thrive on that. I mean, movies, some of the most classic movies follow very predictable formulas. Some of them created genres, some of them follow genres, and The Great Man is going to be no different. But I guarantee you, it will be criticized as such, as something that is not innovative or creative or fun. When in reality, what you get is 120 minutes of wall-to-wall action, some great quips, a a really fun villain, occasionally a little bit of a shaky cam where you can't really tell what's going on, which is a little uncharacteristic of the Russos, but overall, an incredible action set piece with high stakes, not a lot of emotion, not a lot of complexity, not a lot of detail. And you know what? The key is, I had fun. I think Don had fun. But no one else in that theater seemed to be having fun. And I guarantee you, no one on Twitter is going to have fun either. I just worry about, and I know I went six minutes, but I just worry about criticism losing its way and forgetting that movies are supposed to be fun, people. Fun! I'm done. All right. Man, you know, I had a a five minutes in mind where I was going to kind of, you know, take us full circle into how our show has gone with cherry to now and like the, the arc of time and all that. But you hit me with the film criticism stump speech and, and I'll follow you with that. Um, I, and this is crazy because I'm coming off of, you know, Thor love and thunder where I, I, I guess I have to be that film critic that stands up for, for both. And I think that's, I, I take myself as a guy who, who does his best to wear both hats, you know, to, uh, you, you hear me, I know I say the whole favorite versus best thing, but I really do mean it. There are movies I know are dog shit, um, but I have fun and, and they're, and, but they belong ranked by the critic part of me where they belong. I will watch a two star movie over and over and over. No, it's two stars, but I have fun. Um, Thor love and thunder may be one of those kinds of movies and other movies that have a little bit of that, you know, that, that have some fun or have, have a quality or two that's good, that's still worthwhile, I'll, I'll do that, you know? But, um, at the same, yeah, so I guess it's that whole, I do, yeah, how, do, how I separate it is, I, I, I tell myself it's that favor versus best thing where you could still measure, you know, and this is the evil O word that I get for being, you know, for trying to be a film critic where everything is art is subjective, which is such a bullshit myth. So, I believe there's objectives in everything out there and call that an occupational hazard as a teacher where we grade everything, where I I live in an objective filled world, period. There's no way out of my job where I can't have that mindset and drilled into my head. So when I reach film criticism, I, I see a movie like the gray man uh, adapting when it wants to adapt. And, and I see the objectives of you gotta, you've got a, you've got a fun cast let them have fun. You've got um, a broad story uh, of globetrotting spy stuff. Um, do it do it cool and do it fun. Um, you want to build a franchise out of this, which sounds to be the Russos and Netflix's goal. So 
nail a first movie that gives you something good enough to get to a second movie, do so for the audience you're seeking and for the money you're spending. And when you say paint by numbers, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a damn thing wrong with paint by numbers. Look at those adult coloring books that are so popular right now. Like you can have paint by numbers be something for a three year old. You can have the paint by numbers something for a 93 year old. And you know what? As long as you paint those numbers good and with some style along the way, it looks really damn good. No one's going to be like, oh my gosh, did you do that yourself? You can brag every time. Yeah, I did. So movies can do that. But when you have the paint and the numbers that we're talking about, it still comes down to what you bring up all the time, Will, and that is tell a good story. And if you could do that, if you have a good story to tell and and all the panache and paint and numbers comes with it, awesome. You know, there's room for fun and then there's room for appreciating the effort in the art. If you have a story where, or if you have a movie where it looks like the story is lacking and all they have is just a, a bunch of dumb moves of trying to have fun, kind of like for Thor Love and Thunder for a person like myself, you kind of, the, the discount comes out where you're like, all right, yeah, there's fun there, but is it consequential enough to make, to still come back and honor a story? Because I, I'm with you where more and more that the more and more I hang out with you, the more and more I'm reminded to emphasize story as and as well as a source for fun. And I think paint by numbers can be a badge of honor because have some really good paint and make some really good numbers. And it doesn't have to be just Netflix movies and action movies. I see it all the time with romantic comedies and even the YA teen movies and things like that. I've had a great year this year seeing different soft romances, nothing, nothing erotic thriller, nothing um, gross out, fairly brothers laugh out loud stuff, but just quaint, <laughs> simple romances where, yeah, the inevitability of a meet cute and a, he does this and a, she does that has some uh, obvious, you know, um, structure and ways that it's going to go, but can they along the way paint their numbers with some flourish? And I've seen, I, I think I mentioned some of them are a halfway show um, where, that yeah, the, the they're basic and they're you know what do basic well and guess what you still do something well and there's fun to be had there. So I tell you what, without talking a damn bit about the gray man, I'm with you and I hope I can I hope I can be one example of a so-called film critic and a so-called Twitter user who doesn't forget the fun but is willing to have the balls and a little bit of honesty with himself and taking a step back to still measure the picture. You can measure it for the art and value, and you can also measure it for fun. And sometimes that adds up to, um, it adds up to a three or a two, and sometimes it adds up to a five. So, yeah, it, and that's the lesson you have said as well. Come into each movie as you can without trying to weigh yourself down. I was that guy going into this movie here today, where like I didn't care it was Rooster Brothers, I didn't care it was Netflix, I wasn't gonna, you know. Um, was it going to hold cherry against these guys even though I didn't work for me I know how it works for other people and I think there's a mental flexibility built by ego that is out there with film critics where they feel like they the really the really overindulgent ones that you're likely talking about on Twitter are the ones that my opinion is the only opinion because they're the ones that end their tweets with an, and I'm, not, and I'm not taking any questions or fight me or stuff like that. And you've even done that yourself a little bit where it's just when you, when you, and I know, and I know nine times out of 10 is a joke, but for some people, 
they really do mean it. They're not going to hear anything. They're going to block out the world and because only their opinion matters. And that's where I don't, that's where, that's the side of film criticism I find to be shitty is that you got to step in and go, yes, evaluate it as you would, but then evaluate it as an audience can, or at least for some capability. And I think we brought up two shows ago, and I know I'm going way past five minutes. Um, <laughs> we brought up a couple of shows ago where uh, the great Roger Ebert had this really good uh, clip and notes I saw of even when you write a negative review, understand that somebody's going to find it, find the movie to be positive. And as long as you can identify other people's positives, you're giving the movie a fair chance. And I, I take those to heart when I do a movie, even, even if I trash something, um, I'll still drop a sentence of, hey, I get it. Not for me. I don't measure it the same way you do, but I get it. From Terrence Malick to a Marvel movie or anything in between. <laughs> wow. Pulpit stuff tonight. Whoo. All right. Um, Great yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, come on, Netflix and a stunt team. Uh, please enjoy a short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum. All things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out. But hurry. The killer's behind you. All right. Thank you. Welcome back, folks. Uh, yeah, we'll expound. You got to here. Yeah, well, and we'll talk about The Gray Man, I promise. I, I just want to get a couple things clear. It's okay to not like a movie. Like, this is why I'm not attacking you for not liking Thor. You gave sure. me valid points. You've never... You never like come to me and say like, well, you're, you shouldn't like this movie. You'll say it doesn't work for me because of this. And I'll say it worked for me because of this. And I hardly ever get on anybody. I mean, every now and then we do it. I think we saw, I made a joke (laughs) with a male writer the other day when they gave a two star rating to Raiders of the Lost Ark that I was calling the movie police on them. But you know, that's Mm -hmm. different. That's a classic. You can make broad generalizations like that, but if it doesn't work for somebody, that's fine. I just always feel like, and this is why I suddenly got in this mood, is because people were starting to tell me, like, oh, you must not have seen the film then. And I'm like, well, I did or, see or, the yeah. film. And I or they say, it. you didn't see the film I saw. I'm like, are my eyes broken? I'm sitting right there in the theater with you, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Taste. So, you, I get that taste is different with everybody, but eyes aren't. You know, like I was there. My attention span might even be better than yours, and I still saw what I saw. <laughs> hey, you go measure it the of way course. you measure it. I'm going to measure it the way I measure it. And I think there is also a tact to it. And we we've reached a yes. point of film criticism, and, and you and I have both talked about this. Where hyperbole sells, click sells. It's cool to hate something and to stand out in doing so. And that's I. I one, once once you get chippy in that kind of way, you like you said, you're allowed to dislike a movie. You're allowed to, I guess, you're even allowed to hate a movie. I, you know, I don't try to get all the way to hate, even though we're here, we are playing on sure, hate sure. on this show. But um, yeah, do right. so with some tact. And I'm seeing less and less of that from too many peers and colleagues and yeah, people yeah. who this has become a burden to them and a burden to their ego. And you know what? Those people can ego kick rocks and go, you know, find their French films. Ego is perfect because a perfect word because I think a lot of people are ashamed, and this goes with all genres. I think a lot of people okay. feel shame that they won't be taken seriously if they like something that's popular. I mean, that's that's oh, where wow. hipsters yeah. come from. That's what happens with music, but True. it's happening with movies now because you know, like for instance, we have a whole phrase for it which has been exoriated, which is you know um, 
elevated horror. That's for people mm. as Joe mm-hmm. Bob Brick, as Joe Bob Briggs says, that's for people who don't like horror, who liked a horror movie. Yeah, it's, I know. it's almost like they have mm. to create a way. Like, no, I totally get or it. Or a grounded like, comic book film, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like they can't totally, handle fantasy, but because you put a little few things, put a few more boots on the ground and earthbound things, it, it's, you might like a comic book movie because it's not as fantastical. It's still a goddamn comic book movie. <laughs> yeah, and and people and yeah. people dig in, dig into like. There's a couple people I've I've literally muted on Twitter because mm. they they th- instead of looking at maybe like we're talking about Marvel here, but like you know instead of looking at each film individually mm-hmm. as a thing, you know they're they're almost part of their character is hating Marvel. Yeah. You know what I mean, and that that goes and that's into the like, thing. Like then they, yeah, they dig in. They 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 get the clicks. They have their ego fed. So now they have to stay there, even if it becomes inconsistent with the rest of their right. work. And that I see and, the inconsistency I, a lot. And I see I see this with younger people too. I think younger oh, people gosh, yes. have this have this need to stake their claim on being a a true a quote unquote true critic. Mm. So therefore, like. You you have to attack what's popular to give yourself credibility. Like I said, if you don't like popular stuff, that's fine as long as you're no. not making people feel shitty about it. But and that's right. the problem is, like you said, there's not a lot of tact anymore. It's there's two things going on. There's either greatest or worst of all time in terms of oh versus. my gosh, there's yes. no balance yeah, anymore. Which right. is when we finally talk about the gray man, we'll get to. But uh, but and then there's also, like I said, there is almost like a tribal mentality. It's like. Well, if you like Marvel, mm-hmm. then you're not a real film critic. If you oh only gosh, watch man. French films, then you're an art snob. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I got Ben Ben Calamer, a good friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I got him the other day. I mean, he probably did this subconsciously, but like he asked me if I had heard of like a Chris Evans film, like, and he 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 said it like. Have you seen this pre-Captain America Chris Evans film? And I'm like, yes, I, I'm aware of a world yeah. that existed before Marvel. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, that's not what I meant. I'm like, yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? It's like. It comes off it, that way. It, it's, as pa- teachers, it's patronizing. I, it's talking down. It's patronizing. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you know, as teachers, there is, you know, we've all had those, that student who might be a bad student, but there's reasons behind it. There's gray area. Yep. Sometimes kids have. Something good here that's com- preventing from going there. It's and it's there's always so much gray as the gray man. There's always so much gray area that I think people don't have that nuance anymore. They just go, "Oh, you like mm-hmm. popular stuff? You're lame. You're you're yeah. a sellout." And 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 I, let's steer it to gray man now because I'm sure people are like, "What?" Like like we did on that one episode <laughs> where we talked about the Will Smith snap slap for like right, forty minutes. Right. But like. Let's steer it to the gray man. The gray man is the perfect picture, the perfect motion picture that I think is going to stir this kind of debate because mm. you're going to have your purists out there who went into the theater today and started saying, Oh, I haven't seen anything good. And I'm not expecting much. And yeah, it, it, when you go in with that defeated thing and then, and then you're going to look at it. I guarantee you, if you go on Twitter uh, next week when this premieres in theaters and then even more, oh, when it social media embargo is already off. You can go now. Yeah. It'll be there. Well, now. I can't, for, for me, it said we can't go to the 14th. But, oh, that's right. We're recording. T- we're recording today on the 14th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Anyways, sorry. Uh, but um, yeah, you, I guarantee you, if you go on there, people are going to be saying like, boring, dark. You can't tell what's going on. There's nothing innovative. 
and, and like I said in the beginning of the show, it's it's just that like people, I think people have they're always searching for that. You know, not everything mm-hmm. is going to be everything everywhere all at yeah. once. It's not no, like like, and that's okay because yeah, movies and it's also okay. For, it's also okay yeah. to grant bonus points if we're playing the spelling test thing over here. You know, it's okay to grant bonus points for originality, but if you do something very plain, very well. Talk to Steven Spielberg, yeah. who does very plain things very well. You know, there's there's a right? whole sure. industry and, a, and decades of movies that are that are the same the same three R. We've been doing three R character plays for a thousand years. You know, so we're we're there. You know, and yep. yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and and so with the Gray Man, we have a very and this is something that aligns with the Russos. What I like, and it, it seems to have a mixed response. And we won't get into, if you guys want to hear me and Don go at it at a hissy fit about what a producer does, uh, look for the (laughs) Marvel Movie Minute podcast uh, coming out in August with us on it. But in general, what the Russos have done as primary producers and directors of their films uh, have, have mostly gone a little bit against what's going on in movies now. Like, I I mean, uh, Infinity War, Infinity War and Endgame, you know, you can't, they had to use the visual effects they did because you got a giant purple man fighting space gods and talking trees. You sure do. It's a little bit harder. It's a little harder to be grounded <laughs> with that. But yeah. when you take their work, when you take their work on the two Captain America movies, when you take uh, even their work on Cherry, whether you like the film or not, mm-hmm. um, and then the, the movies that they've helped produce, like Spearhead, like 21 Bridges and Extraction with Chris Hemsworth. Um, there is kind of an old school, and when I say old school, because it's it's thirty years in the past now. We're talking yeah. about like nineteen nineties action oh, yeah, thrillers that have, like, in the case of Twenty One Bridges and Extraction, uh, other than like the appearance of a cell phone here and there, it's very mm-hmm. timeless. You know, it's it's very like I, the way I always put it, and, and I actually felt this too. I, I especially felt this with Twenty One Bridges. But I definitely got this with Winter Soldier as well, other than probably the third act, you know, helicarrier scene is mm-hmm. I really get that 1.30 a.m. on HBO action movie on a Saturday night when you're home alone, yeah. sleeping on the couch, like vibe to it. And I, and mm. I really love that vibe because unlike ex- with the exception of, like I said, Infinity War and Endgame, a lot of movies are very CG heavy, very, you know, yeah. um, the, the 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 stunt work and the fighting i mean we have some action franchises that do exist i mean there's john wick there's mission impossible um fast and furious you know, uh, yeah no, well no but i mean fast and furious doesn't utilize a lot of um i would say primary stunt work and uh, uh live action effects can, as a, does it yeah. i don't know i haven't seen you them, can, so you I can ro- it counts you can rope it into this trust me okay all right so fast and furious we'll put in there too so, yeah. but you know, everything else kind of has a very CG heavy. I mean, you know, we see even, even the greats. I mean, uh, there was, I mean, Martin Scorsese spent $200 million making a drama because he needed mm-hmm. the visual effects to, to de-age uh, 80 year olds to look like 75 year olds. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's, I think they go against a lot of type here. And I think this kind of movie is something that the gray man is something that people are not used to seeing anymore. I agree. They're, it's the kind of Ryan Gosling may not be like a muscle man, like Sly and Arnold, but there's a reason why Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies stopped making money 
And Sylvester Stallone went away for a while. And Bruce Willis had to move to dramas because the macho, the macho action hero who doesn't really have a backstory other than the very simplistic paint by number, like there's a loved one in their past or they have a father relationship or whatever, you know, that went out of style and that is totally fine. That's yeah. And that's, that's fine for that to go out of style. Like to have like six of those movies a year, just like the Westerns went out of style and just like, you know, certain slasher horror films went out of style for different types of things. It's okay for trends to come and go, but mm-hmm. that's why that's what that's what makes things like you know when a western gets put out, and even like it, it's it becomes almost quaint, and people mm-hmm. will go like, oh my god, they're reinventing the western. It's like no, they're just making a western under a modern viewpoint. Yeah, like that reinvent word. It's is giving it too much credit. Yeah, yeah. It it's if you put up some of the most recent like. Unforgiven like did a great job of like kind of like I, yeah, I would almost call it post western sure yeah but but at the same time I mean it's plot elements and its structure and its location shooting like a John Ford film mm-hmm. are all the same as old other westerns same Absolutely. you know so 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 what I like about stuff like this is that you get kind of these quaint old fashioned kind of films and the Gray Man is that. You're not going to get oh, yeah. a very like emotionally touching. I mean, they even throw out things that are forced in the '90s movies. Like usually Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone or whoever would have to have sex with somebody like halfway through the movie. Right, a love interest. But, you know, would to, be to there. just yep. a love interest. Like this movie is just hardcore. Like mm-hmm. I said, two hour HBO at one a.m. Yeah, like balls to the balls to the wall action from beginning to end not a lot of character development everyone has very basic motives and mm-hmm. ideas i mean there's it's there's almost the the only criticism i have and the basic plot of this movie is um you have this uh this guy named sierra six played by ryan gosling he's kind of like a he is the gray man he's like a ghost for like shadow ops for the cia he has to go after what ends up being Sierra four and Sierra four has this like necklace with like a chip in it. You know, the classic go get the chip. It has mm-hmm. perfect, like uh, what's that called? MacGuffin energy. Unfortunately, right, right. they, they do, they do kind of explain a little bit what's in it. That's my only gripe is I wish it was more like that movie Ronin with Robert De Niro. where like, you don't yeah, know what's in the briefcase. One. Same thing with Pulp Fiction, you know, like, I wish it was a mm-hmm. true MacGuffin and that you don't know what everyone's fighting for. It makes it a little bit more interesting, but regardless, like everyone's motivations are simple. You got a man on the run trying to survive. There is somebody he cares about. He's got to rescue. You got a villain who is pretty much the opposite of him in every way. Mm-hmm. And that makes for a great, great villain. And they're going to fight at the end. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a neat old, I'm going to say old fashioned. Cause it is 30 years old at this point, it's old fashioned nineties, action movie that I think people are going to misunderstand as some kind of, you know, um, yeah. boring I, action romp. And, and I just, I, I mean, I was smiling. I was never bored in this movie and I was always looking forward. It, it reminded me of old studio films mm-hmm. from like the seventies where they would throw sure. in like the tap, like the towering Inferno or something where you would have maybe not like the most, glorious plot pretty simple stuff you know it's a it's a towering Mm -hmm. inferno but you had these great stars playing off each other and i mean this cast is pretty stacked and it's just it's it's cool people doing fun cool stuff for two hours 
it's not demanding anything. I just, I just feel like criticism is going to come its way and just be like, well, it needs to be this and it needs to be that. It needs to be original. And I, I just, yeah. you're not going to get that with this kind of movie. You're going to get a very old school fun time. And that's what I love I about it. That's why I like the Russos. So yeah, no, uh, for me, this was, um, and I, here I'll play the, I'll play the millennial with the hyperbole. This is the best action movie sure. I've seen this year by a country mile. And mm. I don't call Top Gun Maverick an action movie. That's a drama that has action. Sure. You know, like that's not meant to be a balls sure, the wall sure. movie. I didn't see Ambulance with Michael Bay, so I guess if there's a contender, great. Eh, but uh, this I'll is take better it. than that. I agree. I'm not surprised. Um, but no, um, yeah. you you frame it pretty well. Where this is a '90s R-rated action movie with um with big stars bumping heads and all that and but with modern tools tricks and sensibilities because you're yep. dead right now if this was 30 years ago we would have um a love interest just to you know pace the movie and and provide a hot co-star and my goodness you can't get any hotter than Ana de Amaris but it's nice to see her thanks to the years we're in you know wear the strong female character t-shirt and stay one which is fantastic um she gets she's awesome yeah yeah, she gets she gets gets thrown around a lot too like she sure sure does yeah like unlike the bond movie where she Mm -hmm. kind of fit that there's a little i'm not gonna say the the, bond movie was fine but it was a love scene away from being the stereotype well and also like she was flawless like in that in terms of like she kicked everybody's ass and was perfect and it was goofy and charming like in this movie, like she gets her ass kicked, she gets thrown around. She sure does. But she also still saves a day and kicks ass. So it's it's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So no, no, no. It, the idea is there where you and this is kind of Tom Clancy light. I, it sounds like th- this is based on yes. a series of novels that are kind of from a Clancy disciple. And they, they feel like that. And this feels like a polished Philip Noyce, you know, uh, Tony Scott you know, nineties action movie where that that's kind sure. of was there was bread and butter for a while. And you're right, we haven't had many of those in a while, or the ones we do all of a sudden have Russo fingerprints on them because Old Guard felt like a nineties movie that just happened to have some comic mm-hmm. mojo to it. Extraction's a super nineties movie. Uh and then you get to I this love one. Extraction. And yeah. Extraction ain't bad at all. You know, um it, again, better than most action things we give things that we that get thrown out there for the sake of throwing out there. And and yeah. I, I tell you what, like, to, and this is where I'll, I'll give the Russo some credit that kind of redeems themselves from Cherry. Cherry had this, you know, very, you know, um, lower level first timer crime. I don't want to say a Scorsese light story, but it it's still kind of a Scorsese light sure. story where um, with this sure. bank robber thing. And, and I know he comes from a war veteran roots and all that, but the Russo's in that movie tried way too hard in my opinion and it's on our episode three um tried way too hard to kind of infuse their 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 kinetic style into something that doesn't right. need kinetic style you don't need overhead shots right. of pittsburgh and establishing shots that give this it's, movie it's, I was, towering this and towering that and dutch angles and all the fucked up things that the russos love to do um in in, in a movie yeah. about uh, a small town bank robber guy who's a war veteran it feels what it like I said, I think in episode three, 10 pounds of sugar in a five pound bag. It's too much. But 
apply it to globetrotting apply it to globetrotting spy thrillers this go ahead have fun blow it up and this is the russos using their skill set perfectly suited to what they can do and with the right kind of story right kind of energy this this redeems cherry for not doesn't redeem cherry for me cherry still sucks but it redeems my my <laughs> doubts of the russo like because we talked about this but pre-show like oh great here we go i don't know where the russos are going to be are we going to get good russos we're going to get bad russos and i don't know even know if there's sure. enough to make good russo a good russo pile and a bad russo pile but it's um well but that's is, me but stepping out and going willing yeah but that's me you know me though like right. i kind of start with the film criticism thing that's me being able to step out and go hey ignore cherry down I don't watch a damn trailer in this movie and just come in and be dazzled. And I, I was same with you glued my seat, laughing my ass off, having a great time, uh, unpredictable villain, which is fun. And just, yeah, I, I was never bored, but you're right. I'm looking down the aisle. I'm hearing the press reactions after, and this is going to, this is going to fall flat with the highbrow crowd. And it's a damn shame. Well, well, and this is, this is the thing is, I mean, how many films real quick? Cause I, I want to see, about this argument like okay how many films do you have to have before you can say like okay like for example like how deep Jordan does the resume have to be well yeah because like well, Jordan Peele's a director yeah. that I love I think he's got two home mm-hmm. runs out of the park and you can yeah. easily put a pile of good movies that he's made however in terms of like a career retrospective we, he right. might make eight bombs in a row we don't know but right. how many films do you have to make before you can start putting those piles, like you said? Because you said there's a there could be I, a good pile of bad piles. Yeah, I. How many? I when I say that, it's just for tenancy's sake. I like I'm I try to be the guy from Terrence Malick to Steven Spielberg. I I try to be, and this is my attempt at consistency, even if it feels like it's inconsistency. Is what have you done? I'm going to be the what have you done for me lately person, where you're only okay. as good as your Fair last enough. film. You know, and I feel like I'd rather be that than the automatic ass kisser who says, but it's Steven. No, 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 Steven. You made the BFG. It fucking sucks. I don't care if you made E.T. and Jaws and all the things the I love. You still seen. laid a turd. Yeah, you still laid a turd. Uh, Terrence Malick, for that guy who I think lays turds all the time, if he were to come out with something Sorry. glorious, amazing, and mind-bendingly beautiful, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to clap for the guy. Um, so I that's that's my attempt at consistency is you're only as good as your last film or and by the time and then i that's kind of like my masterpiece rant is i don't apply those labels as best i can until their careers are done where we can kind of step back and go all right how'd you do kid you know and but it's tricky because in the what have you done for me late there's the in with here i'll say like this with a different crowd what have you done for me lately is this Twitterverse of trends and dishing on things they like and are popular or, or uh, gilding somebody immediately because of a big hit. And some of that is Jordan Peele. Some of that is Damien Chazelle, you know, where sure. some of that is Barry Jenkins, where you make one or two really good things and you've got some people who will swing on your nuts for life. Um, and I won't <laughs> do that for people. I, I will know going into it. All right appointment viewing you know because take notice it's damien chazelle take notice it's barry jenkins but at the same time pause and go all right but what's this going to be so no you know you got people who are just fine who will find no fault in because of old favorites i won't do that well i guess what i meant was if we're if we're looking at the past film this is one of the problems i have 
is that people refuse to look at the Russo's Marvel work as work. Like, because there's some mm-hmm. kind of weird, there's some kind of weird sentiment well, out there that those people who discount don't... art, you know, yeah, it's not cinema. Right. Well, they, but they say, like, drama. it doesn't count because it's, it's a studio. And I'm like, well, bullshit. No, it Steven, counts. Steven Spielberg made studio films his entire career. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, you would count, or you it's would the dollars the thing, Marvel where films. like who's the number one star in the world? It's Samuel Jackson because he's made six billion his movies. Even if he's in them for a shave, yeah. it's made have made six billion dollars or whatever that number is. They keep Samuel Samuel. Yeah, yeah. Time. So, so you so you would count the Marvel films as isolated films from them? Like you would put that as their filmography? You, Absolutely, you have that. to. Why would their names are on okay. it? Why would you not? There, well, nothing I've, is I've discounted only by me. Because... Yeah. Right, because I'm only asking because people do that. Like, they do. There is this world that exists out there that that the only Russo brothers films that truly exist are Cherry and now this. Oh, and they've had a couple no, yeah, comedies before no. Marvel, and they've had some. Mm-hmm. It's almost like people are embarrassed to admit that they've made four really awesome Marvel movies. Like, well, and you, they want to do it because fl- it's Marvel. <laughs> yeah, you can <laughs> you know? flip this onto the art snobs with: Are they going to count Eternals for Chloe Zhao? Are they going to count the wrinkle in, a wrinkle in time for Ava DuVernay? Are they going to count yeah. um, Shang Chi for Daniel Destin Cretton? Are they going to count uh, Barry Jenkins has signed up for a Lion King prequel, kiss, you, taking the Disney paycheck? Are you going to disown all of these auteurs because they want to make something with, that's either a passion project of theirs or a, a an intriguing thing that just happens to have a great paycheck that goes with it? I, that's the thing. Like, yeah, that's I, true. you're gonna watch, but tell you what, you're gonna watch a few heads explode with inconsistency. Of you're gonna watch some hoity toity film critics disown people who do that kind of work, and those people to me are just as shitty as the ones that will discount the Russos as not making cinema. They're even I worse because uh, they disown their own kind. I think Greta Gerwig might be the next one coming up. Making a Barbie um, movie? Absolutely. She's going to get shit for that for days. I mean, I think people are like thrilled with it because it's just so kooky of an idea. Like, sure. Set photos from that are like taking the internet by storm. But what if it comes out and it's just kind of a Barbie movie with a little bit of social commentary and not a lot of bite? You know, like people are going to be like, oh, she's a scam. You know, Uh and sell out all of it. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing that you have with you were talking about people that like they make two films, um, and then they hang on their nuts forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just using Marvel examples, like no one, no one is getting on Sam Raimi for making an MCU film. No one. No, like I have not not a single argument of saying like he's just cashing paychecks. Now a lot of the arguments are because is because he made Marvel, he made stuff before Marvel, and he made stuff after Marvel or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now. The Russos are kind of cursed because they happen to make four great Curse movies. Is a good word. Like, because yeah. they 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 made some comedies that were forgettable. But in terms of them making names for themselves, they mm-hmm. made four incredible Marvel films, and mm-hmm. people associate them with the Marvel brand. So they never give them that. Like, they don't treat that. Like, the amount of times I hear Russos and hacks is uh-huh. it drives me up the wall because mm-hmm. a I don't think people like. Watch Winter Soldier. Even watch Civil War. Like some of the set pieces in that, no CGI, all car, live ammunition, not live ammunition. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's there, there's fight choreography, there's action choreography, there's mm-hmm. some of I mean, the Russos are awesome at car chases. Oh in all their fantastic. films. They do a great yeah. job with like chases and stuff. 
like watch it and tell me like because because that's I think people get into these. Well, it's all CGI. It's all green screen. It's all bullshit. I, I saw. I heard an argument the other day. This this blew my mind. I had to comment on it on Facebook. Someone said Jaws was a real movie because <laughs> it wasn't filmed on any sets. Oh come on! And I just went. Well, there there goes every movie from the twenties twenties uh, to yeah. the sixties. Every Absolutely. movie that was made literally in a studio is no yeah. longer a real movie. It, I, we we get hung up on astounding stupidity. Like, yeah, yeah. Or get, here's the thing: hung up or, on these things. If, you know? if people are going to call out, I I say what this. If you're if people who have that pushback need to have pushback also on their own kind. And shout out to Mike Crowley, who uh, years ago I got on his YouTube channel and had this rant of calling Terrence Malick overrated because how many times have we seen him do the same stylistic? or artistic choices and we're all supposed to bow and go oh thank you terrence for blessing us with one more movie yeah you did curtains and shitty family life again for the fifth time in a row like you, you right. if the, if you were michael bay doing the same thing for the fifth movie in a row we would call you a hack so guess what you get the label too right. you know people i don't i wish more people had the balls to look inwardly enough at their heroes or whatever to do that but not it's like you said they it's, they heal in they dig in they're territorial or they're afraid to look bad in front of their you know well-heeled twitter ego-filled peers and i have that's why you know i'm on on twitter i just don't give a shit about those folks where i can yeah i, I wish just, i i wish oof. i could because I remember as at a young age, like pre-internet age, I remember, I mean, internet was around, but let's say around Mm -hmm. like bad boys Two era, Michael Bay. Right. Yeah. You know, like I remember like people were like, Oh, Michael Bay is the, is the, the downfall of cinema and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I remember I I would sit there and I would tell, I would tell people straight with a straight face. I was just like, I've enjoyed every Michael Bay film I've ever watched. He's and still here in like, cinema. What's still wrong here. with you? Yeah, yeah. Same and I'm always like, and with Marvel, like, same thing with the Russos. Nothing is dying. Nothing is going anywhere. Are things getting pushed around at a multiplex level because of what makes money? Absolutely. But none of this has kept that's, those aren't John the creators Q art person. Either. Yeah, none of this has kept the independent filmmakers of the world from making movies. There's, in fact, if anything, and I. I don't know how much I'm supposed to fully believe this, but um, to me, streaming in VOD is the lifeblood of indie film because the one and two screen indie, you know, the Alamo giraffe houses, you know, the, well, even the smaller things than that, they're shuttered. And in COVID, if they weren't shuttered before COVID, they're sure as shit shuttered now. Where, yeah, the multiplexes survive because they're too big to fail, and the movies that fill them are too big to fail. Where indie cinema has their chances is doing what Coda did. You find a wonderful benefactor and strong producers who are willing to bankroll you. If you can get a if you can get a theatrical release out of it, great. If not, you get you go on streaming and you become the water cooler favorite of people around the world. And guess what? We just proved it this past year. You can do that and win Oscars still. You can do that and still have artistic cred. You can do that and still find a great home and boost another network and get peers and do all the things. And it's just a different landscape. And the dinosaurs that can't adapt to that, that's too fucking bad. 
that's what blows my mind. That, that's the argument that drives me the craziest. They go, What's that? well, because Marvel exists or these tent poles exist, the, the little mid-major films don't get made anymore. And I'm like, you know why they're not getting made anymore? Because people stopped going to them. Yeah, they like, have to make, they there, have to make a, money. I'm sorry, but there's a subset. Money. There's a subset of film criticism that is mm-hmm. yearning for something that doesn't exist and is it's, <laughs> yeah. it's funny because you know, I'll, I'll get in arguments with people and they'll be like, well, this movie that does exist sucks compared to a movie that doesn't exist in my head. Uh, like they, yeah. they automatically say like, oh, this $80 million small budget indie film or small studio mid-major budget film would have been awesome, but Marvel had to take over the box office. I'm like, well, first yeah, of all, it's not on. Marvel's fault. It's supply nope. and demand. And second, mm-hmm. you're talking about a movie that doesn't exist. You're automatically, you're, you're making something that does exist compete against something that doesn't exist. Yeah. And already saying what doesn't exist is better. I mean, that's impossible. The other thing is. It's impossible for a product yeah. to survive that. Like, you can't beat a ghost. Like, no. you know the, what I mean? The other thing is, the other thing is customer laziness. Um, and that goes from the simpletons all the way to the cinephiles. And that is, sure. there is, there, there is no dearth of, of call it content. If you want, I'll call it choices. Sure. There is no dearth of choices and platforms out there to find any fucking movie you want. Don't be so lazy sure. from your thumb and your remote not to go find it. If you want Criterion movies, there's the Criterion channel. If you need something art house, go get a subscription to Canopy and Hoopla from the library. Like none of this stuff mm-hmm. is being erased. None of this stuff is being is not having a chance. Um, Tubi, which side by side has the cheesiest horror Love things you. and bad blockbusters, still has indie stuff on there. You just have to be a discerning sure. customer who puts a little work and effort into your streaming and your scrolling to find things because and because there's so many platforms and so many choices. If your movie is good enough, the cream rises to the top. There's no one's you'll never meet you'll never if a film has fans they won't shut up about it it's just and oh, yeah, yeah if you want to play the card of if you want to play the card of well they have more marketing money and things like that well yeah because there's it's a, then you go back to supply and demand but at the same time you can still go put enough effort get enough audience spread the word and cream will rise to the top ask coda ask any of these little engines that could we've had sure. along the way now i get it and the the danger is i I say that while completely understanding the danger of the big money aspect of it. I mean, it, it, Disney and the larger studios do push around some money. And now we're getting to the point on uh, this is where I can speak on the critic side um, that the for your consideration Oscar stuff has become a very inundated field where the money matters. And Netflix is one of those pushers oh, that, yeah. you know, throws the money into State that machine. You know, the, the world. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. I get it. Yeah, money makes the world go round, but it, it, that's the, it, sorry, that's the game. Learn to play it, and if not, yeah, you, you hey, make, you've made yeah. your little artistic thing. You found your little sh- platform. You, you find your little shingle and platform to to show it. Appreciate that you had that chance. Your good people will find so, your movie if you push and try. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing is uh, when I talk about young people as critics. Um, Nothing drives me crazier than like the 25 year old film critic, right? Because mm, they'll, you, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with, there's nothing wrong with being 25. I'm just saying nope. that yep. what, Take they, your what they will Swing say is, day, 
without having like context, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say stuff like, look at all the crap that's out of movies now. Look at the 70s <laughs> when they weren't even born. Look, yeah. look at all the classics they put out. But what people forget is, like, if you go, like, and it's even harder in the 30s and 40s, but, mm-hmm. like, uh, for instance, I was, going through, I was going through the best picture nominees from yeah. the 30s and 40s. Okay, so and back then they had like 10 nominees. So we're talking like what? Uh, what's 10 times 100 films? Mm-hmm. You can find maybe three on streaming. Okay. Yeah. So, and this, these are what are considered the quote unquote best pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when people put stuff together, it's almost, it's, it's just kind of like uh, bands too. Like, you know, people mm-hmm. will be like, uh, like people will put the Beatles as one of the greatest bands ever. But like, you know, every now and then, like if you listen to a full Beatles album, you're going to find a couple songs that suck, but it's yes, the ones that, that, that come like for a lot of younger critics who think they own this landscape and think they own <laughs> Hollywood history. Mm-hmm. They forget that like, yeah, all the movies in the seventies we talk about are classics because we have curated the best of the best from that decade yeah. I, and made it available. I- that's why you see me get mad at pull quotes for brand new movies that drop the masterpiece label. Let to right, me sure, sure. that you're talking to curation, you know, like let these movies stand the test of time. Let's see where they are a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, because there are masterpieces that these young critics labeled last year that nobody fucking talks about because it was a cool little moment last year. And that's it. Who's still respinning oh, yeah. no, no Man Land sure. right now? You know, like, yes, it deserves right. its earned respect and it's got its little spot in the shelf, but that's it. It is not going to change well, the landscape of cinema the way these curated 70s films do and always will because they have stood the test of time. That's an ingredient a 25 year old doesn't understand. Well, and here's another thing, too, that they don't understand either because we get stuck in these narratives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me pick. Let me pick last year, twenty twenty one. I'm gonna pull this up on Letterbox. Okay. Yeah, go for now, it. Now, obviously, you can you can throw out some things like behind the scenes documentaries, TV shows they put on Letterbox. But mm-hmm. in terms of the year twenty twenty one, okay, there are thirty one thousand one hundred and twenty eight listed films. Okay. Wow. That goes yeah. from the fir- the first one mentioned is Spider Man No Way Home. Fine, that's a huge release. Okay. I'm sure the bottom one is some three dollar indie that was made yeah. on an iPhone in Poland. But, right. <laughs> and, and and but and this is just what's listed here. I, I remember someone was arguing with me about how they were saying how sad it was that Marvel had like the top seven in the box office last year or something <laughs> like that. And I said, Yeah, I mean, they have thirty percent of the overall box office. So what's the other seventy percent going to? Has to mm-hmm. go somewhere. The money doesn't disappear into no. the air. Second, second, last year there was, I think in terms of U.S. major, like major release, so either everything from major studios to mid-majors to direct-to-video to warehouse crap, mm-hmm. you know, there was, I think, 426 films. So Yeah, where there which were is a down year five, thanks, COVID. Right. Right. But there was five Marvel films last year. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, that yeah, leaves 1%. you with about 400 and... Right. And yeah, they make up a majority of the, you know, the, the thing, but it's, it's weird because it's like, it's like on a basketball team. It's like, no one gets mad at Michael Jordan for scoring 40 points where his teammates score 10 because mm-hmm. 
it's like you still need 110 what, to win the game, great. and Michael's 40 isn't yeah, all like, 110. Exactly. So it, it just yeah. it's, it's a weird argument because I think people really buy this argument that there's only because they're at the top in terms of box yeah. office and jealous of the money. The, I mean, uh huh. I, I, I never, I never get that. I, I never understand that. I no. mean, I, one of the examples I've used on the show before is, um, you know, people are people will make fun of Rage Against the Machine, the band, because they're millionaires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like. You know, you can have a political stance and still use capitalism in your favor, right? Absolutely. Like, people have this weak, like, I guarantee you right now, Don, you would do this. Well, I would think about it, but like, if <laughs> okay. another school, if another, I would think about it because I love my school mm-hmm. where I'm at and I want to stay there forever because I know this I'm is a magical a scenario that's not, yeah, this is not what's going to happen because this is a magical yeah. scenario I'm making up now. But if another school came to me and said, guess what? We know you're making about $40,000 a year. We mm-hmm. want you at our school. We'll pay you $2 million a year. I'm probably going to go to that fucking school. Uh, you I'm going to take a like, long, hard look. Uh-huh. So, so, like, with, like, Rage Against the Machine, it's like they made music that people wanted to listen to, so they bought their albums. They made millions of dollars. It's okay to be rich and still rage against the machine, but people yeah. are just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to take political discourse from the yeah. rich. It's like it's um yeah it's, it's also okay. <laughs> like, it's what you do it's what you do with the money too like and that's something I'll compliment right? Ava DuVernay with like Ava DuVernay took that yeah. big Disney paycheck for a wrinkle in time movie didn't do so good I'm guessing there's a lot of studio control or just haphazard story I think she made it True. admirable effort it's a very complicated book like it's almost an unfilmable book it's, to turn into a movie it is she did her best a weird. Uh, yeah, it's a weird movie and a weird book. Uh, she did her best, multiracial casting, all the great things that, that Ava's great for. She turned that into her own production studio, which has bankrolled her documentaries, other people's documentaries. She has, ma- she has taken that and become a peer leader. Tyler Perry makes the Medea movies, and they are profitable, they are dumb, they are silly, but he takes all of that puts it right back into the land of Atlanta film economy. Also with his own studio, his own production company that bankrolls the next people that are going to be him. And that is right. valuable. And, 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 and we have seen that one for them, two for me thing for a very long time. And that's how the bit, that's how you get fed. That's how the business, keeps but that's going. another, but that's another, um, I'll never look down on somebody. for doing a, that. No, no. And, but that's another, yeah. um, criticism that people dig their heels into because Mm -hmm. that is like the worst thing you can say too is they'll be like well you clearly made that one for the money and this one for the art it's like you can still make art that without selling your soul do you (laughs) yeah let's 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 ignore your you know let's ignore the criticisms of um thor love and thunder like let's let's throw Mm -hmm. out our takes on it you and i can both agree i'm sure everyone could agree that christian bale's a great actor right very much so. And it just because he took the Disney paycheck, did he act any less no. <laughs> in Thor Love and Thunder? Or did he, he give He's the out full there promoting the movie. Yeah. He's out yeah. there promoting the movie. He, put his entire effort into the acting. Didn't take a day off. Yeah, he a, a consummate performer, you know, an employee, exactly. whatever you want to call it's, it. It's different types of as teachers, we have different hats. I mean, I have to coach sports at my school a lot differently than I teach in the classroom. 
It, sure. So some days I put my coach hat on. Some days I put my, do I get paid as much as a coach as I do mm-hmm. as a teacher? No. Right. But I get paid for both. Both have different value systems. Both mean something to me. Mm-hmm. Both one is more popular than the other. I can get more parents to show for a sporting event than I can for, yeah, uh, you know, a parent teacher conference. But it doesn't make either one less valuable. So, like, that's the other thing that mm-hmm. I like your argument saying there's one for me, one for you. That's fine. But people get stuck on that, and then they turn that into a negative. They say like, well, if he's doing a Marvel movie, then he's he's not really acting. Yeah. He's Here, only take- doing it for the money, and that's not true either. Yeah, you know? take take Nicholas Cage, who's your classic example for the last 20 years. Whatever his financial troubles are, obviously yeah. the man's got some needs, but when you watch him take the paychecks, even the really shitty ones, the guy's throwing right. he, he never lost track of himself as an actor. The man still tried in everything he does. There's weird little veteran actors out there that are still doing that. Like I've seen John Malkovich in some really terrible indies of just, just trying like brought in to be a heavy brought in for some theatrical ish kind of thing. Cause that's Malkovich. Oh. And you know what? In, in an awful movie, he's going 110%. Um, same thing with a guy is, like Defoe's in like 12 movies. Woody Harrelson, Willem Defoe. Yeah. They're in like 20 There's movies a, a year. Like, yeah, and <laughs> you know? those are, and I tell you what, those are the character actors who get it. They've been high, they've been low, they've been stars, they've been duds. They get it that it is, it's the, it's the John Turturro character from Rounders. You know, like they're grinders, you know, they, they, they do this to what, to one, make credits and do art, but to make money. And you know what? That's what it takes, you know, and whatever lifestyle they live outside of that, that requires the money they do. God bless them. What good or bad. But when you see enough of those guys like Woody do great causes on the side, you know, put their money back into the community, put their money back into their art. Like I can't, if that, if, if, if those efforts come from a few paychecks here and there, okay, good job, man. Make that money. You know, I, I, I used to well, give Michael, a- Ka- like the old people, I used to give Michael Caine and Morgan Freeman shit for taking whatever project was that they would, because they, they used to, the last 10, 15 years, they've done some senior dumb comedy things. And even De Niro's another one, you know, where Niro, they, they, take yeah, some, yeah, yeah. they take some suspect things, but I know where the money goes when they're done. And it's not to a golf resort and, right. and girlfriends and blow. It goes to... <laughs> De Niro funds Tribeca every year, you know, like that's, they put it back into what they do. And if it, and like you said, um, plenty of people make does. There's, there's not one impeccable resume in all of Hollywood other than John Cazell and maybe James Dean. And that's, that's right. It. That's right. James everybody Dean. else, everybody else well, has made lemons time and again for whatever reason they wanted lemons. Uh, no one wants talk to, to it, admit talk that, to it. You can, yeah, talk to into it by a producer. Maybe they need the money, high spot, low spot. That, but you're right. They're, People want to wash their hands and go. There's great. There are only. There's only greatness there. You can go Denzel Washington to Meryl Streep. There, everybody. Like I said, John Gazelle and James Dean. That's it. Everybody else has duds yeah. and lemons. And well, as it, long as they can wear those and own those, and how you how it's how you improve as you go. That should matter. It's t- there's a time and place to be a starving artist, so to speak. Too. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I have coached. I have coached a lot of teams for free right sure but what are we talking about here we're talking about i get to coach my daughter 
I get to kind of like teach on the side with the coaching. Mm-hmm. I get to have a great experience and it's usually for like a month, you know, a sure. month or two. If you ask me to simply coach for free for 18 straight years, 12 months a year, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to say no because it's it's yeah. it's not that I wouldn't enjoy it, it's because I got to make money to live. Like, you know what right. I mean? It's it's it, we get all these things mixed up and and i'm a i'm a victim of it with sports because i'm a loyalty Mm. guy like i tend to favor remember you're the wee guy (laughs) well yeah i'm the wee guy but no but i tend to favor athletes that you know uh stayed with one team like i like if i'm ranking like people it's like the same way we do extra points for originality in film think of it just like that Right. And I'm a victim of it because I'll rank like Kobe higher than LeBron only because he played on the Lakers his whole career. Like that to mm-hmm. me is almost a skill in itself. That's higher than I agree. Like, I would know, too. Athleticism or something. Well, but I don't know if that's totally fair because it's a business just like movies are. Some well, guys I, need to feed families well, here's, and do stuff. And it, you know, I, I don't know. Is, I just, this is where I the, mistake. this is where the film criticism or like, it's what you're measuring. Are you measuring who's the best basketball player? Because something tells me physically, like throw a ball on the court and make him play prime versus prime. There's a good chance LeBron James with all of his physical tools is probably one top five best basketball oh, players sure. to ever do it yes. versus, yeah. but, or, but when, when you're talking about Kobe and longevity and now we're talking about titles, we're talking about accolades. We're measuring legacies, not talent anymore. And because the talent is given. So you kind of do that a little bit with the movie criticism too. Like, are we measuring how well they played that one game, painting those numbers, making that one movie? Are we measuring legacies? Because I guarantee you, if some lemon filled filmmaker uncorked something to be uh unique or better or different and they finally got credit for it. here ben affleck right like we, we've we've used ben affleck on the show ben affleck if we were just doing the whole buried by a lemon thing the man would have never made a comeback now as an oscar winner who's <sighs> consistently making fantastic films i mean have people been fair to him the whole time i guarantee you that guy's got a list of receipts of the people who were and the people who weren't <laughs> and it probably and it, and that matters and because at the, the end of the day what what how are we going to measure his legacy I, and i hope the good outweighs the bad and i think from a to rope it all back together like i think a filmmaker who's done five films to a filmmaker who's done 50 films i think all you want to hope for is that you made more good things than bad things. And that's good enough. Like, cause yeah, you can have a guy like yeah. Jenkins or Chazelle. And if they never make another film, the rest of their lives, they'll always have these five films that have lit the world on fire for both those two guys. Like they could retire well, today. Kevin Smith effect at that. It's a right. Kevin Smith effect. Always but here's a th- chasing Amy. Yeah, but, it yeah. is. High, but the hard part is it is, we still live in a currency and and what have you done for me lately thing where Smith, exactly, will, yeah, yeah. yeah, Smith, Smith has to go through what he's going through now of like, man, he's, he's, a, he's a, obviously in a dog year streak and he may never recover. But when it, when it's all said and done, like I said before, the cream rises to the top. You'll always be remembered for your best, hopefully better than your worst. Like, and the, the cool thing is we talk about clerks in this world more than we ever talk about Tusk. So I think his legacy is safe. Sure. 
Sure. Well, and I'll make one last comparison. Um, okay. Before we, before we, <laughs> and before we we're, don't recommend the green man. For a while. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I remember, uh, I was at a Phoenix comic con probably like maybe 2010 or something. I don't remember what mm-hmm. it was. Um, and, uh, I was, I was lucky enough to meet LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek yeah. The Next Generation. And this, this is kind of, this kind of encapsulates the argument you just made, but also that idea of not only what have you done for me lately, but also legacy and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, someone asked LeVar Burton, they just said, do you ever wish that you had like a hit show, uh, that wasn't Star Trek. And he's just like, dude, I had a hit show. It was called Star Trek. Like, right. I don't care. Like I'll always be Mm -hmm. remembered for that. Like, I mean, he's obviously got an interesting career, but, and and yeah, some people will only be known for one thing. It plagues people with, uh, you know, it's true. Typecasting forever. But at the same time, it's also like people want to discount popularity. People want to go like, well, you couldn't do anything outside of Star Trek. It's like, yeah, but I did Star Trek. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, what, is, what do you and, want from and me? Like, like, as you long as you, you, I think to to build a good legacy, you've got to own it, own your hits, own your losses, and at the same yep. time, show good graces. Show good graces to the people who love you and hate you, you know? Um, I just finished here in town, uh, Fan Expo, where... Jonathan Frakes was there. Um, the entire four crew of Hobbits were there. So Elijah Wood, Sean Astin, uh-huh. Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan. And you know what? Elijah Wood, probably for better or worse, is stuck being Frodo for life. Uh, and like man's sure. made eclectic, wonderful things. And he and he can he's gonna keep trying for those things, which is great, but at the same time, he's he's savvy enough, even if it's financially savvy enough, he's savvy enough to come to these cons sit in these panels, probably answer the same questions he's been answering for 20 years. But you know what? He at least shows respect that, hey, I made a big thing and I made something popular enough that people love it. I, I'm willing to share that love because I loved it too. And the fun part is like, I love when like Sean Astin gets up there because Sean Astin, deceptively so, has like four Hall of Fame champion things that will make people remember him for life. He's got Lord of the Rings, sure. Rudy Goonies. Um, I'm gonna miss one in here, but like he, the guy has the guy's loaded. Like Tri- that's a living. That's a living trivia legend. Trivia question on, too. Uh, yeah. Tri- trivia question on Sean Austin, also an Academy Award nominee for a short film. That oh, that's right. See, People like don't know that, and that, that's People, the thing. Like, like <laughs> yeah, and like if he were to get up to these cons and pound the table, like none of you saw my short film, then you're some of that is biting the hand that feeds, but at the same time, some of that is, Hey, go ahead and use your acclaim and Q rating to put out your next things. And like, they might not all hit, but you you're out there trying and you're being given the chance to keep trying. And I think those stars that recognize that, that they've been put in a wonderful position, an enviable position to still be able to do work, whether you're Nicholas cage or you're Sean Astin, respect that honor that put your best effort out every yeah. time the ones that don't I just wanted to are the ones that flame out and we see them do so i just wanted to fact check myself to make sure i wasn't just speaking out of my ass yes uh, him and i believe his wife christine were nominated Look for best short film live action the film kangaroo court in 1994 oh man so this That's was going way back pre- yeah pre That's one rudy I- pre yeah pre lord of the rings that's one of my favorite um 
trivia ones. The other one I like to give people because they're big Doctor Who fans. And they don't know this is I'll be like Peter mm-hmm. Capaldi, I believe is an Oscar winner for like a I, short film. I think. I think um, so. Yeah. So, so I, I like I like to throw that one mm. at the trivia contest for people. Uh, that that's another thing too, and we won't get into it on this in this um, in this episode, but. You know, uh, Stranger Things is 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 huge right now for kids, and mm-hmm. um, I love it because my daughter wants to listen to Metallica now because Metallica makes an appearance right in the show. And then obviously there was all this pub about Kate Bush and mm-hmm. how you know her songs were getting like six hundred percent increase on Spotify sure. because of the show. Hey, there if is it's a gateway. It's a gateway. Of, right. There's a contingent of people out there that are just like, oh, you guys, I hate these little kids that are just into you now because of this. And like Metallica put a, put out a statement that was just like, I don't care if you've been a Metallica fan for 40 hours or 40 years. Like, mm-hmm. guess what? We're you happy to have you. an awesome song. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, exactly. It's, it's, it's so silly. And I see that with film and this, this There's circles gatekeeping back to my there for sure. Five. Yeah. Yeah. This, this circles back to my beginning part. And what I talked about in my five minutes with the gray man is that I will be hesitant to say that I love this film because I'm going to get the looks and I'm going to get the rolled eyes and I'm going to get it. But that unfortunately is the landscape we live in. And I'm trying Mm. to push through that and just be like, guess what? I love what I love. Leave me alone. I know. And, and I, I wish more critics had the, the level headed, even keeled confidence in being able to do that versus there's a and I can speak to this because I man I'm in a, I'm in a I'm in a big city I'm in a big circle and now I'm in big groups with big big critics where there's a keeping up with the Joneses thing where you even within those circles and memberships you get frowned on if you're not the guy or the the peer supporting the same thing they're supporting. Um, I remember um, I remember going to Power the Dog the the Netflix in house premiere last November flown out to L A Critics Choice right. I'm in that room and we're doing the, um, everyone, you know, we're watching the movie. We all get out of the movie. Netflix wants the reactions afterwards. And, and I, I kind of take my time coming out of the theater. Cause I'm that guy who watches critics. I just like the decompression time. And I know I go out there and I go, Hey, how'd you feel about the movie? I said, it was a challenge. And they're like, was that a negative challenge or a positive challenge? I'm like, it's a negative challenge. And I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm the one guy who said, I said it straight to Netflix's face. And I know I'm going to eat Netflix's food and drink Netflix's booze right after that. And I, and I, but I, but I, <laughs> what I guess the word I'm, I guess it all comes down to is integrity. Like, do you have it or do you not have it? And there's some things that prove it and some things that disprove it with critics behavior. And it's, it's clear as day in from person to person in my opinion there's not a lot of people who can hide having it or hide not having it and they're they're showing their asses a little bit yeah i don't know (laughs) last fact check last last fact check today yes peter capaldi won for best short film live action for franz kafka's it's a wonderful life however i don't think i've ever seen this too often but it was a tie win that actually tied All right. another short film called Trevor in 1994. Maybe this is, you know what? This might be, I'm wondering if this is the 95 ceremony. I think Capaldi is the guy who beat Sean Austin. Sean Astin. It sounds like it. Now that I think about it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, that's something worth digging into, but I'm sure the mm-hmm. listeners could give a shit about it. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, so long story short. Um, <laughs> long, long story, story short longer, indeed. Yeah, Gray Man, uh, best action movie Don Shanahan has seen this year, and that's saying something. Go, go see the Gray Man guys, and stop being whiny bitches. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I look at it. <laughs> so that'll sell it. Uh, yep, that is. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> that is the one. Yes, uh, Sean Astin lost twice that year because he was one of three people. This is an interesting, like this year is interesting because Joe Beth Williams, I don't know if it's the Joe Beth Williams. I know. Uh, I know. was Joe also Beth nominated Williams. that year. Uh, but yes, uh, Fran, Franz Kafka's It's a Wonderful Life, Peter Cabaldi and the, the movie Trevor tied to win and poor Sean Astin lost uh, <laughs> that year as well. So he, he not only lost to one person, but two. So poor oh, guy. Oh man. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and anyway, I don't know why I'm digging into that. Um, and it was the Joe Beth Williams. So she also had an Oscar nomination that year. So what a weird year for, uh, yeah. Oscar nominees, but uh, all right. Anyway, <laughs> great man. Go see it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Follow. Let's let's, are we done there? Are we done? Are we, yes, we sir. Hit this it. Crazy. Okay. Hey, follow us on Twitter at cinephile fit and on Facebook. Mitch is going to kill us at cinephile. His fit podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hazy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, Banana Meter, and we are members, charter members of the new Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from with wonderful programs and interesting hosts. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You know what they all say. Fantasy football is like a box of chocolates. And I know you. You love fantasy football. And you love chocolates. Well, 25 Yards Later is a fantasy football podcast with top-notch analysis, earworm music, and plenty of laughs. Each week we dive deep into four games, putting every fantasy-relevant and occasionally fantasy-irrelevant player under a microscope. Block out all the haters with 25 Yards Later, available wherever you get your podcasts, but maybe not where you get your chocolates.